Well, this is a uh, sad day for some and a happy day for others because it's the end of Duval County spring break. So as much as I enjoyed spending the week with my children, I'm really excited about tomorrow and the start of school, but I'm more excited about the beginning of spring. It is uh, great to be together and looking forward to the Easter season. As you heard already this morning, there is a lot going on, so I hope you will stay tuned into all of it and be a part of it. And in preparation of the Easter season, we have been uh, entering into a conversation, a series, uh, that honestly nobody in the room probably likes very much. Uh, i just be honest and put it out there. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you don't like this subject. Uh, and if you're here and you are a Christian, you're very uncomfortable with it. Because we have been talking for the last few weeks about how we as Christians share our faith. And so if you're not a Christian, this might be the very reason you're not one. Because of sort of the stereotype of what it is when Christians begin to share what they believe. And if you are a Christian, this is something that uh, maybe you have had a difficult time with. How do you share your faith effectively? I love what the Bible says about people who do this. It says both in the Old Testament and the New Testament that they have beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And so as we think about that, uh, we've tried to look at this maybe from a little bit of a different perspective. Uh, Rather than being something that would be offensive or something that's controversial, rather as an invitation to join God in his mission in this world of sharing good news with people who are so desperate to hear some good news. So if you're just joining us, let me take just a few minutes to bring us all up to speed together, and then we'll take a look at our passage for today. Several weeks ago when we began, we said the first characteristic of people with beautiful feet is that beautiful feet follow Jesus, that they follow Jesus. It's generated out of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not motivated out of, out of a desire to make converts or to get people to your church, but out of a true desire and compassion for being a follower of Christ. And we said that followers of Jesus are fishers of men, that this is what it means to be a disciple, is to be someone who is engaged with Christ in his mission. And we looked at Matthew chapter 4, at Jesus calling his first four disciples and his invitation to them. And then a few weeks back, we also said that beautiful feet overcome obstacles obstacles to take the gospel to where it is needed. And we looked at one of my most favorite passages of scripture, Mark chapter 2, the story of these four incredibly committed friends who had a paralyzed buddy that they carried to Jesus. And when they got there, the crowd was so thick around the house that they went up onto the roof and dug a hole through the roof to lower their friend. That, that beautiful feat will overcome obstacles and difficulties because of their love for their friends, but also because of their, uh, their faith that Jesus is the answer to the problems that their friend is facing. And then last week we said that beautiful feet deliver good news and proclaim peace. And while that may seem simple to us, so often in our culture today, when we talk about sharing our faith, there's this undercurrent of tension that perhaps it is a debate or a controversy. And we said, really, what we are doing is sharing good news, that we can have peace with God, that we can find wholeness and fulfillment with God. So this week I want us to look at another principle, another characteristic of beautiful feet, and I'm going to give it to you right away because if you don't hear anything else, I want you to understand this principle and then uh, we'll we'll explore it together through a passage of scripture found in John chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, open to John chapter 1. We'll be looking down in verse 43, but our principle today is that beautiful feet meet people where they are 
and walk them toward the Savior. Meet people where they are and walk them toward the Savior. You might think, well, that seems awfully simplistic. But I would suggest it's not really what we as the church have been engaged in doing. Far too often, we, at the church, we in the church are engaged in opening our doors and windows and yelling out, y'all come over here. When you get your act together, come on into the church. And instead, the message of the scripture over and over again is that those who follow Jesus leave their comfort zone. They leave the place where they are comfortable and they go instead out into where the people they're trying to influence are, meeting them right where they are, and then walk with them step by step towards the Savior. So today our story comes from John chapter 1, and it is the story of two disciples of Jesus, two of the apostles that we don't talk a lot about, especially their calling. This may be a story that you've just read through. It's only a few verses, but I think it is a beautiful picture of Uh, one of the apostles demonstrating what it means to have beautiful feet. The two disciples that we're going to look at today are Philip and Nathaniel. And uh, and you can find this story here, John chapter 1, verse 43. Let's look at it together. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. Now, this is not the Philip we talked about last week from Acts chapter 8. This is a different Philip. Uh, So he's still, Jesus is still building his team of apostles, and he's walking along, and he passes Philip. He finds him, and he said to him, follow me, which we've already seen that that's Jesus' invitation to the apostles time and time again. Come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, I love this passage and I love this story because what happens to Philip is exactly what Jesus said would happen. When he invited Andrew and Peter, he said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And here we see it happening almost immediately that Jesus invited Philip to follow him. And within just a few words, Philip is already reaching out to somebody else he knows and inviting his friend Nathaniel to also come and meet Jesus. But there's more to it than that, because what you discover in this passage is that Philip really was not completely ready or well-trained. You can know this by what he calls Jesus. If you look at verse 45, he refers to Jesus as the son of Joseph. Now, titles and names in the book of John are very important. John is very intentional about the names of Jesus. And he uses two primary names for Jesus. He calls him the Son of God, and he also calls him the Son of Man, which was a title that the Old Testament had for the coming of the Messiah. So John uses those two titles a lot. But here what we see is that he's recorded Philip not calling him the Son of God or even the Son of Man, but referring to him by his earthly father as the Son of Joseph. And what that tells us is that Philip didn't even really know who he was dealing with. He really didn't even have a complete understanding of Jesus or his mission when he reached out to Nathaniel. And what this reminds me is that if you are waiting until you know enough to share your faith, you will never share your faith. That somehow in our minds we get put away that, well, when I have all the answers and when I know enough about the Bible and when I can know enough about who Jesus is, then I will be able to engage with other people who need to hear the story. But until then, I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I might say something wrong. And I love that this story is included in our Bibles because we see that Philip did not fall into that trap. 
You have to start with what you know, not with what you don't. And that's exactly what Philip did. He reached out to his friend Nathaniel before he had a full understanding or fully grasped who Jesus was. And then look at verse 46, Nathaniel's response. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Now, Nathaniel responds in the way we all fear, that he challenges Philip's claim about Jesus right away. And isn't that ultimately what we're afraid of? That if we begin to talk to someone about issues of faith or spirituality or what we believe about Jesus as the Son of God, that they may push back or they may ask a question or, or they may challenge us. And it's exactly what Nathaniel did here. And he challenged him on a very interesting point. Because you see, we know that Nathaniel was, uh, was from the, the town of Cana and that Jesus, as, as Philip introduced him, was from Nazareth. These were two small towns in the same region that there was probably some, a little bit of regional tension. I don't know, maybe their high school football teams played each other in the, sta- in the state conference. I don't know what it was. It, but it would be like somebody from Callahan mocking somebody from Uly. I mean, that's what, about what this is like. But it was more than regional tension or hometown pride. There was something theological under this. There were conversations going on among the very learned about where the Messiah would come from. What, what would his hometown be? And there was debate about all these great towns and tribes and which place he'd come from. But everybody agreed that nothing good ever came out of Nazareth. No prophet would come out of Galilee. I mean, if you go later and look in your Bible at John chapter 7, you see the Pharisees saying basically this same thing. So Nathaniel is trying to engage Philip in a theological debate about where the Messiah will come from and and how do you interpret the scriptures. And I love Philip's response because Philip just doesn't take the bait. He doesn't engage in the conversation or even attempt to answer Nathaniel's question. Look what he says at the end of verse 46. Come and see, said Philip. Nathaniel said, can, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip didn't try to defend Jesus' hometown. He didn't try to engage in the theological argument. He just said, come and see for yourself. He didn't try to fix him. He didn't try to change his mind. You see, meeting people where they are means that you're going to accept the fact that their worldview may be different than yours. It, it most likely will be different than yours. And our goal as Christians is not to change their ideas or their views on everything. It's simply to invite them to come and see for themselves the Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me give you a few examples of how we, as as the church and as Christians, sometimes take lesser issues and, and bring them into the debate and diminish what the message is really about. Take politics, for example. We will engage with people uh, in in a spiritual conversation and somehow that will bring up some political aspect and then we're off the rails talking about politics. But you do know that Jesus is not a Republican, right? (laughs) But he's not a Democrat either. He's bigger than that. And his message is more important than anything any Republican or Democrat would ever say or what the current political debate is about. And so far too often we as the church link our belief in the Savior in some political ideal or concept. And so we engage in the wrong conversation. And Philip refused to do that. But it's not just about politics. It may be about faith and science. That people don't have to surrender their high school textbooks in order to come to meet Jesus Christ. 
You, you understand the importance that they come to understand who he is and his claims and experience him. And we don't have to enter into those debates. We could talk about all kinds of social issues that come up as, as distractions from the message of the gospel. And I love Philip's response because he doesn't take the bait. He just says, I don't know about that. Just come and see for yourself. Your goal is not to make people think like you, but it's to invite people to meet the Savior and to become like him. Not to have your mind, but to have the mind of Christ. And and another thing about Philip, he didn't feel like he had to answer all of Nathaniel's questions. Nathaniel sounds to me like a pretty smart guy. Philip sounds like he might have just been a a pretty simple and faithful follower of Jesus. And Nathaniel had all these theories and questions and ideas. And and Philip did not feel like he had to answer all of his questions. You are going to encounter people who have questions that you cannot answer. And it's okay. Some of them have questions that cannot be answered. And that is okay. Okay. And far too often we've gotten in our mind as believers that if we're going to be an effective witness of Jesus, we have to be prepared to answer every question people ask. And we don't. We don't. Actually, one of the best things we could learn to say is, that is a great question, and I really don't know the answer. That's a great question, and I really don't know the answer. Let's just practice that together. Will you say it with me? That's a great question, and I really don't know the answer. It is okay to say that. And actually, the person that you're talking to will probably appreciate the fact that you were willing to be honest rather than making something up that they know isn't right. It's okay. And sometimes you can say, I don't know the answer, but I'll try to find it and get it back to you. But don't feel like you have to answer every question. Philip didn't. Another thing is that Philip simply wanted Nathaniel to meet Jesus And he assumed that the rest would work itself out. You see, meeting Jesus, coming to understand who he is, is the beginning of the journey, not the end of it. Hear hear me say that again, because this really plays an important part in your own discipleship, in your own growth as a believer, but also in how you approach introducing Jesus to others. That meeting with Jesus is the beginning of the journey, not the end of it. Far too many of us have believed that all I have to do is come to know Jesus. Once I check the box off that I know who Jesus is, I've arrived. That's not what we're called to do. We're called instead to follow him, to become like him, to be transformed into the image of Christ, to have the mind of Christ. And that doesn't begin until we meet Christ. And so it's okay for you to to understand that somebody may be uh, way out in left field on all the questions they have. And you can't even answer all the questions. But if they come to understand who Jesus is, that's the first step in the journey. Seeing is believing. See, there is a power in personal experience that eclipses theological arguments. You may engage with somebody on a theological argument and win the argument but lose the person. But if a person has an experience with Christ, all the theological debates can be eclipsed. 
Look what happened when Nathaniel, so, so Philip goes and meets Nathaniel. He says, come and see, and he's walking with Nathaniel all the way back. And the Bible doesn't say this, but I just got to believe that the whole way Nathaniel's just peppering Philip with questions. You know, just all the kinds of doubts and all the things why this can't be the Messiah. So they come, verse 47, they, when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. I don't know what it was that Jesus said that triggered something inside of Nathaniel, but Jesus said something and Nathaniel immediately knew this guy knows exactly who I am. And I think at the core of every human soul is the desire to believe that God knows us, that God knows where you are, and that people want to believe that they matter to God. That they're not just a number or a statistic or a forgotten piece of creation. They're no accident. But they were designed with purpose. They were designed by a plan. And that God knows them. He knows them and he knows where they are and he knows what they're struggling through. Look at verse 48. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I love Jesus' response. Nathanael, I saw you. I saw you. What if people really believe that God sees them? What if people really believe that God understands their pain, shares their grief, cares about their struggles? What if people really believed that Jesus sees them? Sees beneath all the exterior and all the masks and all the roles we, tries to, we try to play. But really, really sees them for who they are and loves them anyway. See, notice that Jesus, I love what's missing in this story. Jesus never did answer Nathaniel's question about his hometown, did he? And if you go on from here and you do a study through the rest of the New Testament about Nathaniel, Nathaniel never even asks the question again. And Jesus never offers an answer. Why is that? Because Nathaniel's experience with Jesus overwhelmed all of his unanswered questions. Because people do not come to faith by resolving their unanswered questions. Their questions instead diminish in size when Jesus becomes real and personal to them. You've had this experience yourself. When you've had questions or doubts about new stages of life, Maybe, maybe it was, if you can think back and recall before you were married and all the questions you had about what it would be like to be married. And when you got married, you still had those questions, but they somehow diminished in importance compared to the reality. What it's like to be a parent. How does anybody, how can anybody be a parent? And you, you don't answer those questions before you have children. Actually, after you have them, you have more of them. But the experience so overwhelms the questions you know, a, a young high school student getting ready to go off to college has all kinds of questions about what it's going to be like to be, live away from home and maybe there's anxiety and there's fear, but then they experience that and suddenly their questions are overwhelmed. What if coming to know who Jesus is has the same effect on the questions that we have? What if all of our unresolved issues, all the questions we have about our life circumstances and why things didn't work out the way they did and, and why, why couldn't this have been easier for me? And why did he leave? And why did she die? And 
Why did this happen? What if when we meet Jesus, all those questions are so diminished in size that we forget to ask them? You know, the Bible says that when we get to heaven, the first thing that we do when we see God will not be to say, God, I need an explanation. The first thing the Bible says that we will do is fall on our knees and say, Jesus is Lord. Do you know why I believe that will happen? Not because the questions are resolved and not because they've gone away, but because we will be so overwhelmed with the glory of God when we see it face to face that they just won't matter in comparison. Can you imagine what that would be like? The Bible says that we will see him as he is. We will see him face to face. This is exactly what happened to Nathaniel. And it's what the Bible says will happen to you and to the people that you are engaging with in conversations who have questions that are so difficult and so hard and so painful that you cannot offer them an answer. But you can offer them to come and meet the one who were so overwhelmed their questions that they will fade from their view. I love Nathaniel's response after this encounter with Jesus. See, see, because you see immediately that Nathaniel took Philip's knowledge of Jesus to the next level. Philip had called Jesus the son of Joseph. But look at verse 49, what Nathaniel says. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I mean, this is a remarkable revelation that Nathaniel had. And it did not happen because Philip had all the, the answers to his questions. Actually, Philip gave him information that wasn't completely accurate. But when Nathaniel came to meet Jesus for himself, he understood. He got it. Philip's limited understanding did not hinder Nathaniel's experience with Jesus Christ. But I am so grateful that Philip, right where he was, was willing to reach out beyond himself, to meet Nathaniel where he was, and to walk with him towards the Savior. And that's what it means to have beautiful feet. So I, I want to conclude this morning by just giving you a few practical steps for how you can put this into practice, how maybe you can be more like Philip this week. Now last week I told you that I was going to pray that you would have divine distractions all week long. And I want you to know I prayed for that. I really did pray for that. How many of you had divine distractions this week? Raise your hand. God answers prayers. I'm so glad. And I just want you to know I'm praying for it again this week. And I've gotten some emails back from some of you about these divine distractions. But let me share with you this week a few things to do when the divine distraction happens, okay? Here's, here's what we have to do. To, to have the heart of Philip, uh, to be like him as we share the message. First of all, develop friendships with people who do not know Christ and walk toward them. Develop friendships with people who do not know Christ, who don't share your worldview, who don't believe what you believe. See, we feel better when we're cloistered together with people who think like we think and believe like we think, but that's not what the Bible calls us to do. So, so be intentional about developing friendships with people who need to know Christ and take a step towards them. Maybe it's people in your family, people at work, people who have a shared interest or hobby or people who live in your neighborhood. Maybe you already have a Nathaniel in your life. Maybe you know somebody who, who can stump you intellectually, 
I mean, they are smarter than you. It's somebody who has a negative view of Christianity or a negative view of of Jesus or the scriptures. Someone you can never imagine winning over in a debate. Who's your Nathaniel? And would you be willing to step out of your comfort zone and walk toward them? You see, if we're going to develop friendships and we're going to meet people where they are, it means we have to leave where we are. We have to be willing to leave behind what what makes us comfortable and engage people right where they are. Walk toward them. Develop friendships. The second thing is discover stories and listen to people's questions. People want to feel heard. They want to know that someone is, is willing to listen to them. One of the emails I got back about a divine distraction this week uh, the person said that, that this encounter happened, and she realized at the end of it, all God wanted her to do was listen to this woman's stories. This woman was so filled with pain and heartache, and her life had been so hard. All God wanted her to do was to be there and listen with compassion. Maybe that's what God wants you to do. Listen to people's stories. Ask meaningful questions. And don't feel obligated to offer solutions or to resolve their problems, but assure them that God sees them right where they are. Let them know that you worship a Savior who is not unfamiliar with their pain, that Jesus understands. And even though I might not understand everything you've gone through, I just want you to know I believe in a God who does. That's all you have to say. People want to know that they've been listened to. So develop friendships, discover stories, and finally discern next steps. Discern next steps. Be intentional. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit, God, what would you want me to do in this situation? How do you want me to respond? This person who sent me this email, I was so, I was so pleased to see that, that they really picked up on the fact that they knew all God wanted me to do was listen. Sometimes it's just as simple as listening. But sometimes the Holy Spirit may be prompting you to do more. To be the hands and the feet of Jesus by offering a word of encouragement. Maybe by giving them a a book by a Christian author that, that you know speaks to the subject that they're struggling with. Maybe it's by sharing a Bible verse with them. Maybe it's by uh, sending them a link to a podcast of a Bible teaching or a sermon that you know may meet them where they are. Maybe it's just an invitation. Hey, like Philip, why don't you just come with me and see? Just come with me. Join me in worship. Come with me to Bible study. I'll walk with you towards the Savior. That's what it means to have beautiful feet. To meet people where they are and to walk them towards the Savior. My prayer for our church is that we will be those kind of people all week long. That every distraction that comes our way, we'll see as a divine opportunity to do what Philip did. Not to try to resolve everybody's questions. Not to try to answer all their problems, but to assure them that God knows them and to invite them, come and see the Savior. Will you pray with me? Perhaps you're here today and uh, you would put yourself more in the category of Nathaniel than Philip. I'm glad you're here <laughs> because I, I think that this story speaks as much to the Nathaniels among us as it does to the Philips. Just to know and to understand that Jesus sees you, that he's not unfamiliar with your grief and your sorrow and your pain, your questions and your doubts, and that to come to him, you don't have to resolve all those things. But rather, by coming to him, they will diminish in the light of his glory. And for those of us who are here who feel more like Philip, that we hear Jesus' call to follow him, 
to be fishers of men, but we, we, we feel uncertain, like we may say something wrong or, or not do something right. And, and I'm just grateful for the testimony of Philip who stepped out on faith anyway, with just the simple childlike faith of come and see. May we all be more like that this week and every week. Father, we come to you today and we just ask, Lord, that for the Nathaniels among us, that in just a moment of divine revelation, you would reveal to them that you see them. You know where they are. And, and Father, that you would continue to draw them to yourself. Father, for the Phillips who are here, I pray that you would give us the confidence and the boldness to step out even when we don't know the answers, but with compassion and kindness to meet people where they are and to be willing to walk with them through all the doubts and all the fears until they come face to face with their Savior. Father, I pray as a church that we would have beautiful feet, that we would carry the message of hope and peace and love, of forgiveness, of mercy from this time together out into a world that is increasingly desperate to hear that good news. Holy Spirit, we ask you to move in this time as we respond And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.